Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. I'm very excited about this episode of Plod. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors. First, we're joined by Hannah Hinton, a barrister and an expert on police law from Sergeants in Chambers. Hannah has a background in international law. She's worked at the War Crimes Tribunal in Sierra Leone and prosecutes complex slavery and trafficking cases for the CPS. We're also joined by Debbie Lloyd. Debbie's the European Operational Coordinator with the Justice and Care Charity, an international programme which helps to rescue victims of slavery and human trafficking and then empowers them to rebuild their lives. So, Hannah, let me start with you. The legislation around people smuggling and modern slavery was very confused and it was covered by several pieces of legislation. Now, these have been pulled together by the Modern Slavery Act of 2015, which consolidates the existing offences of human trafficking and slavery and covers trafficking for all forms of exploitation. For our listeners, can you give us a definition of human trafficking and of modern slavery and the types of offences the police can expect to encounter? A person who arranges or facilitates the travel for a person with a view to onward exploitation is a trafficker. Physical travel may be agreed by the victim, but the exploitation is usually unexpected and often occurs after the person has been moved from one place to the next. Exploitation can take many different forms, sexual and non-sexual exploitation. Trafficking rings tend to use their victims for cheap labour or for sex. Some groups target children or mentally or physically vulnerable people. And in extreme cases, exploitation takes the form of dealing in human organs. At an international level, we sadly see children who are trafficked into child soldiering and horrific crimes. Trafficking in human beings, by its very nature, and aim of exploitation is based on the exercise of powers attaching to the right of ownership. It treats human beings as commodities to be bought and sold and put to forced labour, often for little or no payment. In the sex industry, but also elsewhere, so low-paid jobs where wages are taken by the exploiter. It involves close surveillance of the activities of the victims by the traffickers, whose movements are often controlled. It involves the use of violence and threats against victims who live and work under poor conditions in the context of the forced labour. It's been described as the modern form of the old worldwide slave trade. Slavery, on the other hand, involves the notion of forced or compulsory labour, specifically under Article 4 of the Human Rights Convention, and involves serious exploitation such as forced prostitution and labour, irrespective of whether the particular circumstances of a case are related to the human trafficking context, so the travel element. It's far beyond false imprisonment. In either case, trafficking and slavery, victims lose their dignity, they lose their freedoms. In essence, they're losing their free will. The offences, as you've said, contained now in the Modern Slavery Act in our jurisdiction. Other offences that are charged can be conspiracies under the immigration legislation and at an international level, Geneva and Hague conventions and so on. 
Hannah, thank you very much. Uh, Debbie, can you tell us a little more about the Justice and Care programme and the work of victim navigators and how you work with the police to tackle the sorts of problems that Hannah's described? Yeah, well, Justice and Care have been in working in this arena for about 10 to 12 years, predominantly out in India and Bangladesh. And a couple of years ago, they decided to expand the programme into Europe. And as a result of that, the Victim Navigator programme was born. And the concept is to bridge that gap between the criminal justice process and victims of this crime type. Because statistically, the victims that are identified don't remain engaged with that process for whatever reason. So the idea is that the navigator is an independent person embedded within the police force, which makes us quite unique when it comes to NGOs in this field. And we're embedded within sort of modern slavery teams or serious crime units within various police forces across the UK. And we also have an office in Romania. So we look at source and destination country. And part of the role is around providing independent advice, not only to victims around sort of their rights and sort of things that they can expect from the criminal justice process, but it's providing a support system for the police officers investigating what is a very complex crime type. Because officers get training, but it's training that maybe happened some years ago, and it's not a crime that they're coming across all of the time. And what we're finding is that because we're experiencing it all the time and this is our role, we're able to provide that victim-focused approach to, to an investigation. Now, and what we've also discovered as part of the evaluation that's been happening of our programme is that we can say hand on heart, as it were, that this actually works. The national average for victims supporting a prosecution in relation to exploitation offences is around about 30%, whereas what we're finding is that 80% of the victims that we support continue to support prosecutions, which obviously in the long term is going to start increasing conviction rates. We have navigators based in various locations around the country, in the southeast, through London, up into Manchester and West Yorkshire. And we also have a, a navigator base within Border Force at Glasgow Airport and doing some work with Police Scotland. So we're sort of covering the entire country at the moment. In terms of the scale of this, I mean, how wide is the problem? You're saying officers don't come across this all the time, but it's clearly widespread. So do we have any idea of the scale? I'm conscious we're dealing with obviously very vulnerable people and many of whom may not want to come forward or can't come forward. Globally, it's believed that there are more than 40 million victims of modern slavery and human trafficking. In the UK, based on an algorithm used by a police force, what we found is that there are more than 100,000 victims of modern slavery. Now, to put that into context, that's the prison population of the UK. And people are exploited in awful situations and have really just awful experiences. Only two weeks ago, we were involved with the Metropolitan Police in supporting eight victims who were found in the back of a old shipping container um, who had been brought over for labour exploitation in relation to car washes. Now, those victims are supporting a prosecution. They've all decided to be repatriated. And because of the work that we do out in Romania as well, 
they're from Romania, we've been able to support them with a safe repatriation. And they're now all at home with their families and doing well. But the exploitation that they'd suffered in this sort of pandemic that we're in at the moment, obviously with car washes not being open and things like that, they've been locked in this shipping container, no food, no sanitary conditions. And they were discovered because a couple of police officers saw a young boy going through bins looking for food. And that's happening all the time in this country. And it's about people spotting the signs and actually understanding what is going on and approaching people in the right way. And then obviously as navigators, we've been able to support the police in that investigation and support those individuals in supporting that prosecution, which is ongoing. Unimaginable figures, 40 million worldwide is is the size of the country. And uh, Hannah gave us a helpful overview of the Modern Slavery Act and what constitutes an offence. For those who are victims of modern slavery, they can often find themselves being forced into committing criminal activities. So in your experience, what sorts of crimes are victims being forced into? Reality is that vulnerable people can be forced into a number of exploitative situations. For example, many victims have come into the UK in the back of lorries committing immigration crimes, but then go on to be exploited in cannabis grows or through sex work. Begging is another offence that we see committed by victims. So they're committing an offence, but actually then they're being exploited and all their money is being taken off them. People have their identities stolen and become subject to benefit fraud and other crimes like that. But many of your listeners, I think, will have come across victims of exploitation within the county lines arena. So where it's often difficult for the police to identify the victim from the offender. We've introduced as a pilot role currently in one of the police forces that we're in a child victim navigator to see where we can add value to this process, to see where we can find the gaps and support the police and support victims in that really difficult arena, which is this identification of, you know, is is this young person an offender because they're caught by the police on the side of the road with crack cocaine or some other class A drug? Or are they a victim because they've been exploited and they've been controlled and coerced to get to that point? So we're looking at ways of trying to support the police in that identification at the moment. Now, Hannah, for those who are forced into committing the sorts of offences that Debbie's outlined, the law provides a defence set out in Section 45 of the Modern Slavery Act. Can you break that down and talk us through the defence and its parameters? Well, essentially, this is a duress defence. As Debbie said, uh, the defence has been highlighted in the context of county lines where offenders manipulate innocent young people into drug running. If a person is compelled to commit the offence as a direct result of the exploitation and they have no realistic alternative but to commit the crime and a reasonable person in the same situation as them would have done the same thing, then they have a defence. What the court's looking at is whether a person with the relevant characteristics as that person would have done exactly that. The problem with it is that these defences or that defence is subject to a very significant limitation because there is a long list in the Act in Schedule 4 which expressly says Section 45 does not apply to. So 
I mean, there's too many to mention, but murder, assaults, sexual offences, and so on. Debbie, you've dealt with victims of modern slavery who have been forced into crime, and Hannah's explained how they may have may have a defence, uh, certainly their involvement in criminal activity. Is there enough of an understanding amongst police officers as to the defence that's available and the hallmarks of modern slavery? In the vast majority of cases, you could technically find offences that most victims have committed, which takes us back to the question of officers being able to spot the signs of slavery and exploitation. It's an officer's duty when dealing with a criminal offence to consider if that person has been forced by another to commit the offence and if there is any possibility that then the Section 45 defence should be considered. It becomes really difficult when it comes to drug-related offences because on the face of it, as I said earlier, a young person who's found with drugs, it's fairly straightforward and something that's easy to understand and deal with. It fits all the police schemas for dealing and recognising offences. However, as navigators and sort of from Justice and Care's perspective, it's the context and the background that offending that needs to be unpicked to identify true victims. It's simply not okay to just say that a young person was in possession of drugs, so they should be guilty and they're prosecuted. Officers have got to be prepared to ask probing questions about a child's background and to work with various partner agencies or social care in order to have an understanding of how the child got themselves into that situation. And it's incumbent on the officers to be able to present that information, whether it be to the deciding officer around sort of whether there's evidence to pursue a charge, whether that be to the CPS or whether that be to the court in the long term. Officers have got to consider signs of exploitation, such as reluctance to engage, one-word answers to questions, physical injuries, and whether they be internal injuries as well as a result of sort of carrying drugs. They have to look out for signs of abuse or the appearance that a child has been groomed or coached to give a stock answer. And they've got to take that into account when they're considering the evidence they're presenting. And it's only by putting that context around young people I think we will be able to truly tell apart those victims from those who are exploiting the system. Because I'm not naive enough. I'm not sat here saying, you know, all children are victims. I know that there are children out there or young people out there that are exploiting this. But it is incumbent, as I say, on officers to try and work out that difference. You mentioned the Crown Prosecution Service, and let's move on, actually, from the police to the Crown Prosecution Service. Hannah, how do the CPS approach decisions to prosecute where a suspect may be a victim of trafficking? Well, they're often very, really difficult decisions to make in these sorts of cases, because, as Debbie said, it's very difficult to identify whether a person is genuinely a victim um, of trafficking or not. The assessment process that prosecutors apply when they're looking at the full code test includes four questions. The first is, is there reason to believe the person is a victim of trafficking or slavery? The second, is there clear evidence of a credible common law of duress? The third, is there clear evidence of a statutory defence under the Modern Slavery Act? And the fourth, is it in the public interest to prosecute? So even where there's no clear evidence of duress or the Section 45 defence, 
they've got to consider whether it's in the public interest to prosecute. And there was a, a recent decision, a recent judgment in December of 2020 by the Court of Appeal, Regina MN, Regina IXU and Secretary of State for the, the Home Department. And that set out a test to determine whether someone is a victim of human trafficking. What's the test that the court decided on and what's the standard of proof we're looking for? Well, that Court of Appeal case arose in the context of immigration deportation challenge. So it's somewhat different, but the Court of Appeal considered the evidential test to determine whether someone is a victim of trafficking under the national referral mechanism. And the two stages in the immigration context is, firstly, an initial decision of whether there are reasonable grounds to believe that a person was a victim of trafficking. And secondly, are there conclusive grounds to decide as to whether a person was in fact a victim of trafficking? The balance of probabilities threshold was the correct standard proof for the second stage. Um, as I say, that though is in the immigration context. Debbie, what can be done to improve practices around victim care and to be more aware of modern slavery and human trafficking? We recognise that there's been a lot of work done in relation to officers' understanding of the modern slavery legislation and the Section 45 defence. But there's still ever such a long way to go to support officers in the identification of victims so that the right individuals are charged with the right criminal offences resulting in successful prosecutions. We've got to improve victim care across the board so that more victims of this crime type end up supporting prosecutions and that the right perpetrators are brought to justice. For officers on the front line, this is about understanding the signs of modern slavery and being professionally curious in their cases. It's about understanding that victims of this crime type often have complex needs, which sometimes makes it difficult for them to engage or even identify the fact that they are a victim. I've recently dealt with a case where for eight years a lady had been reporting domestic violence to police and social care, but each time was withdrawing her statement. And it was as a result of some training I'd done with a sexual referral clinic that she then when reported a rape, they then contacted me because some of the training they'd had sort of made them think, oh, actually, I think there might be more to this story. And the consequence of that meant that I was able to engage with her. She was able to then engage with the police. The police then listened to what we were saying and recognised the signs. She was entered into the national referral mechanism. And not only has she received a reasonable ground, she's received a conclusive grounds. She supported a prosecution. And in January, the offender was sentenced. So it is about raising those signs and walking that journey. And we do know, like I say, we've got a long way to go. But we're getting there. We recognise as well that there's more to be done on a national level. And part of the Victim Navigator programme is around feeding into the centre of social justice and looking at systemic change and identifying those gaps on the front line that we can create that national change to support victims across the board. But for the officers that are listening to this, Debbie, and I'm sure they'd be interested, where can they find resources and who can they engage with to plug these gaps and make sure that they are recognising the warning signs? Well, I mean, I think for individual officers, 
Obviously, there's the spots on the regional crime unit, so the single point of contacts that each force has in relation to modern slavery and exploitation. The Police Modern Slavery and Organised Immigration Crime Team, which is based out of Devon and Cornwall, which is the police sort of transformation team that look at this crime type. On Knowledge Hub, which is an open source access for police officers, the College of Policing, there's lots of things on there. Obviously, I'm going to say, you know, if you've got a navigator in your force, please use us because we are there not only for the uh, more specialised units, but we're there to support the entire force. So a local policing team, we're more than happy to go out and have conversations with them as well. And, you know, we are expanding. I would love to say by the end of the year, I'll have a navigator in police forces across the country. But at the moment, we're at 12. So we're, we're sort of, we're getting there. But I would say that if you're aware of somewhere where there is a navigator, contact us. And if it's a case of advice, we can offer advice. You know, even for a police officer doing a Google search and the Human Trafficking Foundation, there's lots of resources on that site that will, will point people in the right direction to sort of look at victim care. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. And thank you as well, Hannah, for your excellent explanation of the law around this. And uh, Debbie, keep up the wonderful work. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.